bad you are, no matter what sins you've committed, no matter how horrible you may think you may be, there is forgiveness and liberty in Jesus. It also says, no matter how good you are, you think you are, no matter how many good things you've done, you will never be good enough to earn what Jesus has given you. All of your righteousness is as filthy rags. That's why it's scandalous. It doesn't make sense to us because all of our lives, this is how we have been trained. This is how we train our children in this natural world. And let me say this before I move on. What I'm about to say is the right way to train your children in some respect. And it is this. As your children do things, they earn stuff. You do good. You do your chores. You do these things. You earn certain things. There are certain privileges that you earn. It may be an allowance that you get. It may be whatever the case is. I don't think you should be paying your kids to get good grades in school. That's just my opinion. The good grade is the, is the recompense for their work. Because when they go to work to get a job, guess what? Their pay is going to be their paycheck, and that's it. Hello, somebody. I hope you got that. So when you, when you go ahead and tell your kids, well, if you get A's, I'm going to give you this. You know what you're communicating to your children? You're communicating to them that there is more that, that you're going to get out of all of your hard effort rather than what you're really working toward. What are you working toward? You're working toward a good grade, working toward a good education. Again, that's just my opinion. But the gospel, the gospel, it, it, it is supposed to be something that absolutely in every way, shape, and form just revolutionizes the way that you think. Because when you come to Jesus, you can do nothing. Listen to what I'm going to say. You can do nothing to earn his love more. You can't do anything. I don't care if you fast for 40 days. I don't care if you hand out a track to every person that you see. I don't care if you share the gospel every opportunity you get and go out of your way to do it. I don't care if you give 50% of your income. I Listen, it does not matter what you do. You cannot earn any more of his love because he poured it out for you on the cross. That is why it's scandalous. It doesn't make any sense. Because we begin to feel entitled. We begin to feel like, well, man, I'm a pretty good person, so I deserve this. You deserve nothing. Or the flip side of it is, man, I'm so horrible, God will never forgive me. Listen, all of us, and, and everybody in this place, somebody asked me a question. And, and, and this is just news, so I, you know, I, I, I bring it up because not like this is some you know, private person. They asked me, um, would you allow Casey Anthony to come into your church? And I said, absolutely, I would let her come into my church. I wouldn't let her go near children's ministry, but I would let her come to our church. <laughs> Casey Anthony would never work in children's church. Never. She could be forgiven, going to heaven, never going to work in the nursery. It's not going to happen. Three to five, no. <laughs> Six to 11, mm -mm. Youth ministry, absolutely not. Maybe help with the women and help, anyway, but, but if someone is like, I, I, yeah, let her work with me, glory to God. Anyway, listen, y'all Christians need to be careful too, all right? Jesus is the judge, amen? amen? Got Christians all over Facebook, all over everywhere, just like, yeah, I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> listen, no matter how bad we are, the gospel says Jesus forgave you. He wiped it out. That's the reason why I'm talking about the gospel. Because we need to dig into the gospel. We need to let the gospel dig into us. We need to read through the gospels again. And then when we read through the gospels, we need to sit down. And we need to see everything that Jesus did for someone who didn't deserve it. 
When you get that, you're like, wow. People who were hated in society. Listen, we all, th- this is scandalous. We, 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 all, we all have issues with people that we feel like their sins are like huge, like, you know, Casey Anthony's situation, child molesters, you know, wife beaters and things. We, we have issues with that, right? We have issues with that because in our moral compass, that is like, how could you do something like that, right? But you know what the gospel says? The gospel says that in Christ, they get just as much forgiveness as you and I do. And while we will never let Casey Anthony work with children's ministry, we have no idea how God loves her. You get that? That's the scandal of the gospel is that we didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. And so that's my prayer. My prayer is that you really get the gospel. Because when you get the gospel, your life is changed. Your life is transformed. You live for Jesus in a different way. Because you're not living for him trying to earn something from him or get something from him. You live for him because you've already received everything from him. And now all you want to do is give him glory and give him honor. That's the gospel, church. Today we're going to talk about being a gospel-centered community or gospel-centered in our community. We dealt with the gospel needing to be central, center-focused, center stage, being the center of our lives in every area. We focused on that. We dealt with the gospel being uh, the source of our identity, where we are not a people who, who, who gain our identity or our being by our jobs, by our status, by our friends. We don't, we don't, we don't gain identity by any of those things. What identifies us and what gives us identity is Christ. We talked about that. That is the gospel being the center of our lives. And last week, we dealt with gospel-centered worship, where worship is not about you. It's not about you doing. It is about you honoring and glorifying him because of what he has done, period. Not just in song, not just in church, but in every area of our lives, that we be a people who give him worship in all areas. That in the way that we love our spouse, the way that we love and raise our children, in the way that we work, the way that we serve and, 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 and treat our neighbors, and all of those areas, that all of those things, that we understand that all of those are acts of worship. Because what is worship doing? It is responding to God in ways that glorify him and expressing his identity. That's what worship is. And so today we want to talk about being gospel-centered in community because if we're a gospel-centered church and we're people that are going to be gospel-centered, then our focus in community has to be the right things. When we talk about community, Pastor Robert, he says it on Sundays that we're committed to loving God. That would fall under the umbrella of loving him and worshiping him. That would fall under that place. But then there is the second commitment that we say that we're committed to, and it is that of growing together. And that is talking about being committed to community. That means that we are committed. When we say that, I want you to get this don't stop saying it just start living it out when you say you're committed to growing together that means you're saying that unless you cannot make it because there is no way shape or form you will be here for your Wednesday night Bible study you will be here for fellowship with men and women and covenant couples and you will do all of those things because you are committed but even beyond that because we're going to talk about that in a moment but even beyond that that you are committed to growing together with the people who sit to your left and to your right before you and behind you on Sundays. That's what it means when you say you are committed to growing together. It means you're committed to a community that the Bible exemplifies for us so crystal clear. And for us to become a gospel-centered community, we must understand something, that the Bible never calls us to be conformed to anyone's vision but unto the image of Christ. I wrote that on Facebook. The Bible has never called us to conform to anyone's vision, but unto the image of Christ. 
So that would be like, okay, well, Bishop, don't you have a vision that you want us to live out? Yes. But my, the vision that is not mine, it comes from the Bible. And it is for us to be like Jesus. Right vision. Hallelujah. I'm not asking you to become like something that I concocted or I made up or I thought was good or I thought was the next best thing or the cutting edge. As a matter of fact, if you want to get down to it, our vision and mission on, on, on just like level ground, it's boring. It's, it's nothing, to, you know, inspiring and overwhelming. Man, I want to be part of that. Not unless you know Jesus. If you know Jesus, is not boring. If you know Jesus, you want to love God. If you know Jesus, you want to grow together. If you love Jesus, you want to reach others. If you love Jesus, you want to serve. That's the bottom line. But if you don't know him, man, come on, give me something to be motivated with. I used to be, you know, I used to get upset. be like, man, we don't have, like, like this vision. Like, oh. Man, the Bible is full of vision. Glory to God. That's, I, we have enough vision in this Bible to last us until eternity. That's why he gave it to us. But when you look at that, the Bible never, God calls us to become like him. So when you look at community, because there's some people, I mean, let's just be real about it. There's some of us, and I've said this, and I want to clarify something. And, and you know, it's sad because the person who brought this to my attention is not even here. They haven't been here for like a year or so. But anyway, one time a long time ago, I said, you know, I said, um, I said, man, to be honest with you, you know, I said, I got to do wedding ceremonies and stuff like that. I said, but if it was up to me, man, I wouldn't go to weddings because I'm really like, I don't really get off at weddings, you know, like, oh, my goodness, I just can't believe you're here and I get all emotional. No, it's not like that for me. You know, I just, I'd rather just stay home, send my wife, glory to God, just represent, um, you know, have a good time, enjoy that, you know. That's just me. I'm, I'm just saying how I am. And, you know, and I talk about how important, you know, being with my family is. And someone misconstrued that. And they're like, well, you know, Bishop, you said that you don't like to go to parties and you like to go to people's houses so and we never invite you over. I said, are you serious? I said, that's not what I said. I said, I'm pointing out to you that all of this other stuff, it's not like my greatest motivation. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't go. Hallelujah. It doesn't mean that if you decided that you wanted to call me and say, Bishop, I need to know what you're doing so I can have you over, that I would not say, yes, glory to God. I want to come to your house and eat your food, glory to God. And have some fellowship. And you'll probably cook something. And when I go over there, I'll be like, listen, this is my favorite meal that you cook. So anytime you're going to cook this, just call me up. Be like, yo, Bishop, I'm making this meal. Come on. <laughs> Ask the Banos. She knows when to call me. When she's making a certain thing, she's like, I got to text him. He's going to be offended. Glory to God. Right? <laughs> so ultimately what I'm saying is I, I, I need community. I enjoy community. But I also enjoy my family. And, and, and I'll just say it's like this. I know this is like so unpopular what I'm about to say. I enjoy being a couch potato some moments of my life. <laughs> Glory to God. I enjoy just sitting down and not even really watching the TV, just sitting there and just like nothing, just like not thinking about, just have my words with friends and, you know, my wife and daughter be like, can you let that go? We're having family. I'm like, look, I'm good right now. I'm feeling great. I'm, you know, shoulder to shoulder. We're connected. Hallelujah. Anyway, I got to throw words with friends out from those moments. But, but, but regardless, I, I like to have those moments every once in a while when I can just chill out. I know it doesn't sound so spiritual, but, you know, resting is part of God's plan. The Sabbath day, glory, that God made that for man. Hello, somebody. For me. Hallelujah, Jesus. But that's my point. My point is I do a lot. There's a lot of things that go. I, my, my time is consumed with a lot of stuff. And so, you know, if there's something I cut out, I will. But that doesn't mean that I don't want to have community. It doesn't mean that I don't want. Because, first of all, I enjoy it. Second of all, it is biblical. What I'm saying is your personality is irrelevant. 
What I'm saying is your antisocialness doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You just like to be with you and the friend. Doesn't matter. Your Bible calls for something different. So you can either obey you or you can obey him. Right? You can make the decision to obey, which you, you can obey yourself. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Or my kingdom here on earth and I'll continue in it. Right? Listen, and, and I say this, and, and, and I'm, I'm strong on the point because I'm antisocial. I'm being honest with you. I enjoy community, but I'm like a weird antisocial, you know. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just weird like that. You know, I get around folk like with Pastor Robert, I can sit with him. You know, anybody that I know, you know, Pastor Aldo, the people that I'm close, man, I could be with them for hours and chill, and we have a good time, and it's amazing. I can't wait to see you next time, and it's good. And then I can go around people that I don't know, and I'll sit there and won't say a word. I'm just, I'm weird like that. Doesn't mean that I don't, I don't, it doesn't mean that I don't love people. It's just, that's my makeup. But you know what I have to do? I have to stretch myself. Like when I get invited to someone's house that they're just like me and they don't talk a lot either, there's going to be a lot of looking at each other unless I have like a list of questions. If you're that person that you don't talk a lot, look, get a bunch of questions. Get me to talk. I will talk and I'll do the same for you. I'll get you. But don't give me those one answers. Yes, no, five years. We met in church. Um, I, I lived in New York. I was born in Puerto Rico. And I, okay, praise. Okay, can I get some context to all of those one line answers? The point of the matter is, what I'm saying is, we all have these issues. And sometimes those things keep us from entering into gospel-centered community. But you notice some things happen in your Bible when these people got saved. And so, what I want you to understand, we're supposed to be conformed to the image of Christ. So how does the image of Christ reflect this being a community thing? Well, first of all, you got to understand, God dwells in community. What do you mean? He dwells in community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's community. They had a conversation. Let us create God in our own image and likeness. Did they not? That's community. Having conversation. It's community. There's one God. I'm not saying there's three different gods up there. That's not what I'm communicating, all right? Understand this. He exemplifies it. Then he creates man. You know what he does? He creates Adam by himself. Adam names all of these animals. The Bible says there is not one helper that or there is not one animal that's, that's, that's going to be able to help him. So God says, Adam didn't say, hey, God, um, I'm alone here. What's up? That isn't what happened. God says it is not good for man to be alone. Right? So what does he do? Go to sleep. We're going to have first surgery ever, ever recorded. Pull out this rib, make this beautiful woman, brings this woman to him, and says, now go about your merry way and enjoy the garden. Is that what he said? Hmm. He said, populate the earth. In other words, don't just get comfortable with just you and her looking at each other and doing what you guys do after you're looking at each other. Hello. That's what he's saying, right? He's communicating to them, populate the earth. Enjoy what you do after you look at each other. Have some babies. Make some families. That way you can have bigger community. Community can continue to grow. That's what he's communicating. It's not me who communicated this. This is what God communicates. This is what God says. When we look at Jesus, when he walked on the earth, he models for us the need for community by being in community. Did Jesus just hang out by himself? There were plenty of times Jesus went away by himself, he sought the face of God, and then he came back into community. Jesus exemplifies it by being in community. He shows us the purpose of community that we'll look at today. And above all, he prays for our oneness and declares that we will be known as his disciples by the love that we have for one another.
That's not amazing. He didn't say you're going to be known by my disciples because of how prophetic you are. He didn't say you'll be known as my disciples because of how powerful you are. You're going to be known as my disciples because of all of these. He said you'll be known as my disciples because of the love you have one for the other, period. So that means that if we don't have love, if we don't have community, it's going to be because of what? Because we really don't have love. That's the bottom line. Or we have been so whatever has happened to us and we're not allowing the love of God that is in us to be spread throughout to our brothers and sisters. So we may have love. Maybe it's bottled up and we'll look at some of those reasons why that happens. Commitment to community creates an environment of biblical accountability. Commitment to community creates an environment of biblical accountability. Accountability is biblical. I went through that about probably months ago. I don't remember exactly when. I talked about how we're accountable to God. We're accountable to one another. We're accountable to leadership. I went through all of that stuff. And we're accountable to government. We're, we, I, there's, a, there's a bunch of scriptures that talk about our accountability. But when we are committed to community, when we are committed, there is a biblical accountability. Now, when we think about accountability, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, whoa, hold on a second. I, I'm only accountable to God. You know, super spiritual. That's what it is. I'm accountable to God. I'm not accountable to anyone else. You're not reading your Bible right, man. It's not happening. Here's what happens. When you have biblical community, when you look at accountability, don't look at it as the negative. Because when we think about accountability, here's what we think. We think about coming, someone coming and telling us, hey, man, you're in sin. You need to stop sinning. That's what we think about accountability. We think about somebody coming and telling us, hey, man, you need to stop acting that way. You need to do this right. And that's accountability. That's not the, that, that's not the end of accountability. That is a part of accountability. That's the part that gets magnified in accountability. But when you look at accountability, there is liability for your brothers and sisters Hello? You are liable for them in life. You are liable for them in what they're going through. It's not just about you being there to, you know, wave the, 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 the Christian flag of, yo, I'm holier than you, and you need to rise to this standard. No, it is you as a Christian being able to be there and build my brother, build my sister up. That's what I'm talking about. When the Bible talks about community, it wants us to be liable for one another, to care about one another. Amen? That's what it means to have a biblical accountability. It's that you care enough to tell someone, hey, man, you might be wrong or you are definitely wrong. That's accountability. But it's also to be there when my brother's hurting, my sister's hurting, and to be able to lift them up. And so it is important that we have the right mindset so we can have biblical accountability, so we can grow the way that God desires us to grow. First point I ask you to repeat after me is this, say, the immediate result of salvation was community. You see this scripture that we looked at beginning, we, we began in verse 37, and it says, now when they heard this, the apostle Peter, he had preached this, this message that is one of the most powerful, direct, I mean just bold messages ever preached. The first time a message preached on, after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as he preached this message, these people's hearts were, 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 were pricked. And so the Bible says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And so right here, this, is, this, is, this to me is the most awesome example of a biblical altar call. Who was calling upon who? God was calling upon them, and they responded and said, Man, we've heard what you said. What do we do? 
We've heard the message you preach. What do we do? What happens is they begin to respond and their hearts are turned and they say, okay, you know what? We, you know, we, we need to know what to do because this message has pierced our heart. That is my prayer is that when we preach messages, when I preach messages, that the hearts of the hearers that are before me, that your hearts are pricked, that your hearts are cut and that you recognize your need for God in whatever area it is that God is dealing with at that moment because then you will respond. Minister Marisol Bennett, she called me, she, she, whenever this happens, she always makes it a point to text me or call me and be like, Bishop, can I, call, can I talk to you for a moment? And she'll tell me, hey, so-and-so was in church, and, you know, they came up to me, and they heard you preaching about all this stuff, and then, you know, they asked, you know, what are they supposed to do? I'm like, praise God. That is good. That means that God is moving, and you know what? That person found someone to connect with, asked them the right question. That's biblical. Amen. That's what should happen. If you're not sure, they, man, these people were religious folk. These were the Jews that were there for this, this feast time and all. They were injured. Not like these weren't religious people. They, they supposed to know what they, they were supposed to know what was supposed to happen, but they didn't. They asked the question. They get saved. We continue on, and the scripture tells us, Verse 40, we'll we'll look there. And it says, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And so that day, all of these people give their life to Jesus. All of these people are baptized. And now you have this mega church off of one message, awesome testament to the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God moves. These people are saved. And what do they begin to do? They get saved and go home by themselves. Listen, if you read through the book of Acts, you're going to notice something. And most theologians believe that the persecution that came to Jerusalem was because these people didn't want to leave each other. These people were so comfortable in Jerusalem that God had to stir something up. And so he allowed this persecution to come. And that way these people would go back home and preach the gospel. That's what gospel-centered community should be like. You shouldn't want to leave your brothers and sisters. You shouldn't want to go home. You should want to stay together. Even though you know you got to get up early the next day, hello. Even though you know you got dishes and laundry and all this other stuff that's got to be done, it should hurt you to have to leave your brothers and sisters. It should bother you. It shouldn't be like just easy, like, well, you know, I just need to go. Mm-mm. There should be something that is happening when you have this gospel-centered community. The immediate result, they begin to have community. Verse 42 says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. That word fellowship, konania, that means the sharing of life and all of these things. In the breaking of bread and in prayers. And then it says, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. If you, you, you can read this, this particular portion of scripture and when you look at that it says, now all who believed just cover up the word were it said all who believed together cover up the word and had all things in common why do I say that because those two words are not in the original manuscripts and so really the way that it reads to us is it tells us and those who believed together had all things in common those who believed together had all things in common we came we believed together in Jesus now we have all things in common when it says we have all things in common it doesn't mean that instantaneously that we have all of the exact same beliefs that's the reason they had to continue in the apostles doctrine so that way their mind could align with what just happened in their spirit but what it means that they had all things in common it meant that everything that was mine was yours and everything that was yours was mine when you look at that word common it's the word to say that something is unclean 
It's unseparated. It's not sanctified. In other words, you know how, I don't know about you, but I know about me, there are certain things that those are my things. Right? We don't say, that's set apart for me. But really, that's what I'm saying. That is set apart for me. When I was a kid, we used to open up the refrigerator. My brother's here. He can attest to this. My mom had certain things that were set apart for her, like, you know, her chocolate bar that was in the refrigerator. And I don't know if my brother did it, but there were six of us. So if all of us were doing this, this is bad because I don't know how she even ended up with a chocolate bar. But I know what I would do is I would go in there. I knew the chocolate bar was set apart for my mom, but I would open it up, cut off a little piece, eat it, and go back and be like, all right, got a little piece. Hello. Right? But my mom, she, that was set apart for her. But you know what they said in this here? They said, man, have it. It's yours. Mine is yours. We can share it. That's, that, that, that was the heart of the community. When the Bible says that was instantaneous, that was something that the Spirit of God did. He birthed this new life into them. Now they became a family. Understand this. You may not know me from Adam. You may not know anyone sitting around you. But if you have been born again, I am your brother. You are my brother. Maybe you're my sister. Whatever it is. But because of the blood of Jesus, we are family. We are family. We are one in Christ. And so we, we shouldn't be indifferent one to the other because I don't like the way she dresses. I don't like his attitude. I don't like the way he is. He, he, he thinks he's too much. Help him to become not too much. Hello. Help her to dress different. Hallelujah. You don't do that by judging her and staying away from her and shunning her, right? How do you do it? Love her. Connect with her. And then help a sister out. Glory to God. Right? I'm just saying. So you won't do that, though, if you don't have a solid identity in Jesus. Let me say that again. You won't do that, though, if you don't have a solid identity in Christ. I can't be hanging around with her because then people associate me with her. Hold on a second. Where's your identity? Who you hanging with or who saved you? So you help them out. You connect with them. Had everything in common, right? Here's the thing. It is impossible to grow together as the Bible declares that we should if we are not sharing life together. Say this with me. We must commit to sharing life together. Understand this with me. Life is not a meal. Life is not an event. Life is not a Bible study. Life is not a, a fellowship once a month. Life is life. Life is being involved with each other. Life is caring one for the other. Life is being concerned. Life is, think about when you were growing up, in your family, people knew what was going on in each other's lives. It wasn't because we were all, all gossips and all up in everybody's business. Sometimes it was like that, but you know how it goes. We shared life together. We went through something difficult. People knew in our family what was going on. We were going through a hardship. We were going through a difficult situation. And not only did people know, but people cared and wanted to help. Right? That's sharing life together. As Christians, it should be the same thing. 
The Bible tells us, the Bible doesn't say that we're supposed to be isolated and we are just supposed to bear our burdens all by ourselves. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that we are supposed to bear each other's burdens and each person should bear their own load. In other words, I have a life that I'm going to live and I have responsibility, things I have to do, and I can't expect you to live for me. I can't expect you to make decisions for me. I can't expect you to do all of the stuff I have to do. But what I can expect of you and what I would expect of you is that you would come beside me while I'm making those hard decisions that you would encourage me, pray for me, rebuke me if I need it and that you will help me by carrying the burden with me. Did you hear that? That's what the Bible teaches in Galatians chapter 6 that we are supposed to bear the burden of one another and so fulfill the law of Christ. Hallelujah. This is what community is, church, is that we care about what we're going through and that we do life together. Here's the thing that has happened though. Clicks. I love talking about this one. Glory to God. Clicks in the church. I cannot tell you how many conversations I have had, and not just here. When I youth pastored, I heard it. I've heard it here, obviously. And we have these conversations, and we hear about these clicks that have just plagued the church. Oh, well, there's this click over here, and this click over here. And, you know, there's just a bunch of clicks everywhere. Can I tell you the first person to institute a click? Your Savior. Oh, Bishop. Let me say it again so you can get delivered from that. The first click in the church, Jesus established it. What does that mean for me? We don't get into that. But just hold on with me for a moment. Jesus had all these people following him, all of these disciples. You know what he does? He went and prayed about his clique, glory to God. All night long in prayer, God, who is my clique going to be? Father, who do you, who's going to betray me in this clique? Who is going to be the one that's going to get this? Who, Father, show me who I need to choose. Who is it that I need to hang out with? So the first example that we get, before we connect with any clique, we need to connect with the Father. Before we connect, oh, wait, wait a second. Did you say we should connect with a click? Listen, I want you to understand something. You and I desperately need a gospel-centered click in our life. A GCC, hallelujah. <laughs> we need a gospel-centered click. What do you mean? Here's, here's what I mean. And y'all are going to hate me when I say this. Just remember the first thing I said earlier. I would love to come to your house and eat with you. Okay? But here's what I want you to realize. I won't be able to be hanging out buddy-buddy with everybody. If I do, this church will stay right here and slowly die. What does that mean? Does that mean I don't love you? Man, I wouldn't do this if I didn't love you. Trust me. I'm not, I'm not as dumb as I look, glory to God. I could do something that makes a little bit more money and that I stress a little bit less, hallelujah. But listen to me. I love Jesus first, and I love you desperately, and I pray for you. But here's the point. The point is that I'm not going to be able to be the head of every gospel center click in the church. But what I would hope is that folks 
would connect with each other, that you would find, listen, if you're single, that you would find some godly single people, not only single people, get around some married folk, especially if you want to get married, hello, somebody. So you can know what to expect, what you need, right? If you have kids, you need to connect with some people that have kids. So that way you can encourage one another, right? You need to have some things that are in common. But you know what is the most important thing to have in common? Jesus. See, here's the thing. This is the problem. I want you to get this. When, God, when the gospel is the center of a clique, it's not a problem. It's a solution. When the gospel is the center of a clique, it's not a problem. It's a solution. It's not an issue when the gospel is the center. Jesus didn't have a problem. His disciples helped him to minister to the multitudes because it's not a problem. It's a solution to a problem. Jesus can't do everything by himself. The leadership can't do everything by ourselves. Therefore, we need some other people who are going to continue and be the extension and loving on one another, caring about one another. When you look at this scripture here, I want you to realize if you continue on reading and you look at the whole giving pattern that began there, the Bible says that they started selling their stuff and, they, and that way they could meet the needs of the congregation. It didn't say they came and submitted a benevolence form and that way someone could get help. That isn't what happened. The Bible says they had a need. How do you know someone has a need? Because you are in relationship, doing life with them, and you know their needs because you care about them. They care about you. Therefore, it's not embarrassing. That's life. How many of y'all have needs in this world? Hello. That's just part of life, that hardships happen, that I have a need once in a while, that things occur. But for some reason, we get embarrassed. We don't want anybody to know our needs. We don't want anybody to know what we're going through. It doesn't mean walking around with a hat taking donations. That's not what I'm talking about. But we should be able to communicate with our brothers and sisters. That's what they did. They gave so that way they were able to meet the needs of the community. So when you have a gospel center click, it's not a separation. It's a unit. It's a part of the body that is working together to minister to the entire body. Let me say this part because this is why click gets such a bad name. A gospel center click is not exclusive, but it is inclusive. This is where the issue comes into play. Because what happens is you have your clique, your group of people, and I keep saying clique, and I know you all like don't even want to hear that word. But listen to me. You have your group of people, you have your friends, you have the ones you're hanging out with, and what happens is this. You become so comfortable in that group of people that it becomes exclusive. And what happens is folks come in to the community of believers, and when they look around, they see this exclusive group here, this exclusive group here, these people that are on first-name basis, these people that are eating at each other's home, but they feel like, how can I connect? That is where the problem is. Because what needs to happen is me and my clique need to be intentional about including those who come new and make sure they connect. Even if that means my clique has to grow. Hello. Even, you know, you know what that's going to mean? That's going to mean that instead of having three families in your house, you're going to have to have four. Hello. That means instead of having three kids running around, you might have to have six, depending on how many children this family has. Hello. It means that there is some level, because in all of this, listen, you're not going to live a gospel-centered life without some level of sacrifice. But can I say something? Let, let me just say this, because I think that this is so important. You know what happens when, when you go to, when you, when, when you are part of a group, you're invited, and you're part of some kind of fellowship, whatever the case may be, and you go to someone's house, can I encourage you to do something? Say yes. Listen, your host is going to be extremely 
honorable and they're going to be like, no, don't worry about the dishes. No, 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 don't worry about anything. I'll do it all. Impose upon them to help them. (laughs) Because they want you to be served, and that's no question. But I can tell you from experience, because we've hosted a bunch of stuff, glory to God. It is amazing how many people are the first to leave. They don't help with anything. Then you wonder why folk don't want you to be part of their clique. Hello? Listen, what I'm saying is be, 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 have a servant heart, man. When you, when you go and you hang out with someone, it does, it does, don't, don't be overwhelming and be like, yo, Bishop told me to impose to like elbow someone. That, that's not what I'm saying. Just, just help. I mean, don't, you know, do that. I mean, at, at minimum, talk to them while they're doing the dishes. Hello, somebody. Leaving them up in the, in the kitchen and just doing all by themselves. What I'm saying is we got we, we to gotta think about this community time that we're going to have together. It don't want to be a burden because then what happens is this. You got to go home and get up early. Guess what? The person's house you just left, they got to go home. They, they got to stay there, clean up, and get up early. Hello? And so it's important that we understand that we need to be, you know, we, we need to be considerate when we're, when we're with each other. Amen? Gospel-centered click. You got to get this. Not exclusive, but inclusive. So if you have your your close friends, what happens is when it's gospel-centered, you become intentional about mission, which we're going to talk about next week. But you become intentional about what your purpose is. Your purpose of getting together may be to pray, may be to fellowship, may be to have, you know, a good time together, maybe just a couch potato together, whatever it may be. And that's, that's cool. But outside of that, is there something more to your time together? You see, this is how you can tell. And, and I'll close this point with this. How, how, how do I know if, this is a, if I'm part of something that's gospel-centered? Well, here's the first thing. Number one is, what brought you guys together in the first place? What brought you together in the first place? Now, that may be work. That could be, you know, you came to the same church, you went to a function, whatever the case is. So that may not be so gospel-centered, but you know what? God is sovereign. He puts you in that place to connect you with other Christians that may need you, you need them, okay? So we see that. But here's the bigger question. What keeps you together? What keeps you together? Is it because you found somebody you can gossip with? Because some of us would love to find folk we can just gossip with. We love to find people we can be ugly in front of, and they don't tell nobody. They just walk around like we're just the best things since sliced bread. Listen, let me tell you something. Hear hear, hear, hear me when I say this. If you are connected with someone, and you are up in their ear gossiping all the time, all the time, and you're talking about them, and they're never correcting you, they're bad for you. Let me say it again. If you are around someone, and you're always dumping all of your garbage on them about other folk, about situations, and they never never confront you, they never correct you, they never redirect you to look at the cross and to look at your sin and repent, if they're bad for you. That's not gospel-centered. That's gossip-centered. What keeps you together? Is it because of other sin in your life? Because you found somebody else that struggles with that same sin, and so you guys, instead of building each other and breaking each other free, you just find comfort and solace in each other. Man, I struggle with it too, man. I'm still battling with that too. Are you, do, do you stay together because you experienced the same bad things in the past? Therefore, you found a safe haven where you can express all of your feelings and have all of that pain, but there's no healing? That's not gospel-centered. 
That is not what Jesus wants. Jesus doesn't want you to find people who can just empathize with you or sympathize with you or know what you're going through. He wants you to connect with people who will maybe say, I've been there, gone through that. Here's where Jesus brought me. Come on with me. That's what you need in your life. You don't need people who are continually talking about the bad old days because you ain't even talking about the good old days. Hello. Sometimes talking about the good old days ain't good either because you get stuck there in the past waiting for the good old days to reenact themselves We you need to just move on in Jesus and see what he's doing today. Hello. Because Jesus had some good old days with his disciples and then he came to the cross. Hallelujah. Good old days. I wish I was, having one. I wish I was washing their feet right now. Hello. <laughs> We're going to talk about that one in a moment too. Here's the point. The point is you got to think about what is it that brings you and keeps you together. And if it is the gospel, man, you know what's going to happen? You'll come together. And, and, and let, let me say this. Let me, let, let me say this clearly because I don't want you to get it twisted. You don't need to come. You, you can't have community if you're a fake hypocrite. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that me, I'm bishop and, you know, pastor and whatever the case is, but I'm also Jason. And Jason has some carnal moments and Jason gets hurt, and Jason gets bothered, and Jason needs to, not, not that I need to because I could just vent to Jesus, but there are some moments that I just feel compelled to express all of that. And anybody that's close to me will know that I will say, listen, I apologize for doing this right now, and just pray for me on this, but I, I got to get this out, right? But can you handle that? Could you, could you handle that and still respect someone as a Christian after they went through all that with you? Could you deal with that? Listen, those folks that are close to me, they don't just leave me there. Some of them, they'll listen to what I say, and they don't engage the conversation any further because they're like, okay, he's not trying to gossip, which is true. I'm not trying to gossip. I'm communicating something that's going on in my heart, something that's going on in my life. Therefore, communicate it. We move on. They pray for me. Next time we get together, we don't talk about it again unless you had questions. Hello. You need to clarify something or correct me or whatever the case may be. It happens. Here's the point. What brings you together? What keeps you together? That's what's going to determine if this is gospel-centered or not. Just sitting there in a pity party, you're just sitting there in bad stuff. Amen? Second thing is, repeat this after me. Jesus prayed that we would be one. Not just members of the same local church. Turn your Bible, please, to the book of John, chapter 17. This is Jesus' prayer to the Father. John, chapter 17. You got to say amen. Looking at verse 20, it says this. It says, I do not pray for these alone. Now, mind you, Jesus has already prayed for himself. He's already prayed for his disciples. Now he's praying for us. He said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Today, we are believing through their word. They may not have spoken it to us. They penned it. The Holy Spirit spoke to us through whoever. However, and now today we believe because of their word. That they all may be one. So the first thing he prays for us, the first thing out of his mouth when he prays for us is that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. Understand this. The first part of Jesus' prayer is that we will be one 
And he's talking about a real unity, a real oneness. It happens at new birth. We become one whether we like each other or not, whether we agree with each other or not. No matter what is going on, we become one in the spirit. We become one because we are bought, washed in the same blood. We become part of one body. But then we must come together and become one in Christ and unify around the cross of Christ. He goes on to say in verse 22, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. Again, he goes to the reason why he gave them this glory is so that way they can be one. I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one. Again, he wants this oneness and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And I will stop there. Notice what he says. I want them to be one so that way the world will know that you sent me. Understand this. Unity is one of the most important factors for the gospel going forward. Unity is one of the most important key elements to making sure that the world knows. You want to know why? And I've said this before. Why there is so much confusion about which God do I serve? What church do I go to? It is because of the division and the divisiveness that is within the body of Christ. It is because we have 30 churches in the city of Oviedo instead of one church meeting together in worship. Now listen, that is just our reality and there is nothing we can do about that because I can guarantee you I've tried for a few years now to bring all of these churches together to forget about their denominational affiliations and surround themselves about the world, uh, about around the word. They will do it for an event or for an activity. They won't do it forever. So that's not going to change. But what can change is that we as a body can love each other deeply and truly and walk in relationship and intimacy and make sure that every other Christian brother that we see, that we don't shun them because they're Methodist or they're Baptist or they're Pentecostal or they're this or that, but that we love them truly and that we connect in community and that we live the way that God wants us to live. Because if we do that, then the world will know that's the Jesus that I need. That's not my words, that's his prayer. Listen, if you want to bank on something, is when Jesus was praying, that's word right there. That is good. That is what he wants, is for us to have this, compu- this community with each other so that way the world will be clear on who he is. Without a sincere commitment to community, we can never become the fulfillment of Jesus' prayer as the first church did. The first church immediately, and it says some awesome stuff. It says, and fear was coming upon all these souls, right? So everybody was stricken. There was an awe that was there, and it was partially due to this unity. It also goes on to say that they had favor with all people. The city saw their unity, saw their love, saw their power of the Holy Spirit that was there and that was promoted because of what? Because of this unity, and therefore people were having favor, and then people were getting saved. Because they did what Jesus said. Therefore, when we accomplish what Jesus calls us to do, the world is going to know who Jesus is. And he'll use us to change the world mightily. Biblical community is becoming more and more countercultural every day. What do you mean by that? Listen, as technology rises, it seems like I don't need to connect with you on any any interpersonal way, much less in deep gospel-centered community. I don't need to. Today, today's day, you know how we communicate? Text message. We don't even pick up. I love my wife. Because in this, she is old school. She sees me texting. She's like, why are you? Just pick up the phone. Wouldn't that be easier? It would be, glory to God. There's reports that say you get like arthritis from text messaging. Hello, somebody. <laughs> you think I'm just, man, you need to watch the news. My mother-in-law be hooking me up with all that stuff. She's like, listen, you need to stop texting so much. You messed up in your thumb, right? 
Glory to God. But it's countercultural. Today, you don't have to come to church to have church. Why? We live stream, glory to God. Live stream the worship and praise. Live stream it right to your bedroom in your pajamas. Hello, somebody. You, you, listen, you, you don't have to come to church to give to the church. Go to make a donation online. Hello, somebody. You can do all of your religious responsibility from the comfort of your bed. I don't need to connect with anybody because I love Jesus. That is not full connection. I'm not, say, I'm not questioning whether you love Jesus. All I'm saying is this, is that if you really love him, you at some point are going to long for community with the rest of his body. You at some point are going to recognize that you need them and they need you. And I put it that way on purpose. You need them. I know you think you don't need nobody. I, th- I know you think you got it all good. Listen to me. You need them. Well, I read Christian books. That's because you need somebody. Hello. You're trying to fill that need with a book when you can have it in a person. Hello. The, in our culture, oh, you know, deep, deep gospel center, getting involved in your life? Come on, that's crazy. If we believe what Jesus meant, what he prayed, we will repent of anything that has kept us from connecting deeper and more consistently in community. So what are those things that keep us from connecting more deeply? What are those things that keep us from connecting? Well, one of them is bad church experiences, man. Hello. <laughs> talk, talk, talk to some folks. Go, go, go get real evangelistic on me. Start sharing the gospel with people. And you know what? You're going to find, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to guesstimate. You're going to find at least half. Of those people you go to share the gospel with and you go to talk about church, they're going to tell you, I've been to church. They're a bunch of hypocrites. All they want is your money. They're going to give you a whole laundry list of experiences, and you're going to be like, man, listen, some of you, (laughs) hallelujah, some of you have gotten counsel from older Christians. Listen, you don't want to connect real deep with the body. You just want to come to church, do your thing, and go home. Right? Why do they say that? They're trying to protect you? What are you protecting? What are you protecting? I mean, seriously, what are you protecting? Your identity? I thought your identity was Jesus. Jesus doesn't need protection. So let me say it again. You're protecting your identity? You're protecting your heart? Jesus doesn't need protection. He's your protector. Let him protect you in community with those crazy folk. That all they want is your money, and all they want to do is use you. Oh, nah, nah, nah. Mm-hmm. Let, 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 let him be your protection. You stay focused on him. And listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be fair. Sometimes us crazy folk in church, we can do stuff to make you lose focus. Hello. or to, We can't make you do anything, but we can do stuff that will really make you look the other way. Right? It'll be like, hold on, what's going on over here? I'm not negating that. I'm not negating bad experiences. What I'm challenging is, is your bad experience going to be your crutch, going to be your shield, and going to be the reason why you don't connect? Is that going to be it? It's a bad excuse. Jesus died on the cross to forgive those who caused your bad experience so that way you could forgive them and you could move on and fresher experiences in him. Fair? That's what he did. Whether it's fair or not, it doesn't matter. It's the truth. So we have bad experiences in church. We have bad experiences with people. We've experienced some stuff in our life. What about personal insecurities? How about those? 
Just personal insecurities. You got some insecurities going on? Again, it goes back to identity. You got to have your identity solid in Jesus. Not your accomplishments, not because you've done better, not because you're great or whatever the case may be, but certain things keep us. Experiences we've had in life that are bad in church or whatever the case may be, personal insecurities. How about this one? Being too busy to make time for your brothers and sisters. Well, Bishop, I got to work. I agree. You have to work. Praise the Lord Jesus. We all have to work or else the Bible says we should starve. Amen? I don't disagree with that. But what I am going to say is that if you have to work, you need to find a way to make time to connect with brothers and sisters. Make it clear. You need to make time. You can't be here on Wednesdays. You can't come to fellowships. You can't come to all that stuff. Listen, I already said that. Doing life together is not about those things alone. Those things are part of connecting you with brothers and sisters so that way you can get to know each other and you can see where people are at. That's what that's about. That's what it is for. But the fact of the matter is, you can't make it to stuff. Man, you need to invite people to your house. Pray that God will bring you so you can connect with folks on those levels, and that way you can have life together, so you can do Bible studies together that you can't make it to, so you can discuss what was happening in fellowships you couldn't make it to. Make those relationships happen. You got to do that. Or, 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 or the biggest reason why I think most folk don't want to come into these environments and, 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 and will all, you know, be part of personal insecurities, bad church experiences, maybe being too busy, is that you just don't want to change. Community causes you to have to make some changes. Because you're going to have to talk. You, you, you might have to change the way you talk to people because folk are going to be like, hold on a second, who died and made you God? You talking to me like that? I mean, come on, not like, you know, not like you're, you know, talking to me. I'm not like that. Because that would be arrogant, right? But, man, you talk, I mean, come on, man. You, you, you talking to me like I'm your peasant or, you know, like you're so much higher than me. Things have to change. So a lot of times we don't want to connect the community because I don't want to change. I want to stay right here and where I'm at, and I'm good. I don't want to have to change. But you know, you know what also keeps us from community is because you're going to have to challenge and confront other people for them to change. See, it gets uncomfortable. When you get around folks and you start to see when you're the one that's spoken to like that or you're the one that's treated like that or you're the one that sees somebody who is like totally in error, you see someone who treats their spouse wrong when you're around each other, listen, that's an uncomfortable situation. And the question is, what are you going to do? As a brother, as a sister in Christ, if I see something that is wrong in my brother's life, not judgmentally, not critically, I need to sincerely in love confront them. You know why? It's your responsibility. No, Bishop, that's your responsibility. No, it's not. You who are spiritual, if you see such a one overtaking any trespass, come to them, right? That's, that's your Bible, not me. So we don't want to connect in community because there is automatic accountability on all levels. This is my third point, and we're getting ready to close here. Say this with me. Jesus exemplified the purpose and power of community. Turn to John chapter 13, and we're going to read there. John chapter 13, verse 1, when you got it, say so. And it says this, it says, Now therefore the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
And supper being ended, the devil having already, already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but to completely, but 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 he's completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash the feet of one another. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent, who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. First of all, let me clarify something. I don't, I, I don't believe that the context gives us to believe that Jesus was saying that we need to have foot washing ceremonies in churches. I'm not against those at all. And you know what? We may do that one day or whatever the case may be. It may be a nice experience, but that's not what Jesus was trying to establish. You got to realize that according to culture, and this is why this is, this is factual. According to culture and according to that time, the, ge you know, the geography was, they didn't sit like we sat. They sat on the floor, you know, more like Asians do, you know, in, in, in their homes. They sit on the floor. So they sat on the floor, feet sticking out. Your face is here. My feet are there. That's going to be horrible if you got, you know, a bunch of dirt and your feet are all nasty, right? Another, another, another practical thing is that when they were walking, most of the time these guys are wearing sandals, right? So what is happening? All the dirt, all the dust, they're getting filthy. So it was customary when you came into someone's home, especially to eat, that a servant in the house would wash your feet and that way you could sit down and relax and your feet weren't smelling and you were refreshed and everything like that, right? And so that's what happened there. Today, we wear sneakers and stuff like that. Rarely do we take off our shoes unless someone asks us to when we enter into their home. And usually, you know, we, we, you know, we, we have socks on and so most of the time our feet don't stink. Amen. Sometimes we should have a foot washing ceremony for some folks to be like, listen, there's a bathtub right over there, first bathroom, go ahead and use that, get those feet clean, and we'll come and talk in a little bit. In love, all right, hallelujah. The point of the matter is, okay, Jesus has this, has, has this awesome time in community. It's going to be his last time with his disciples. And he does something that is amazing. He takes the most menial position at this table. And he says, you know what? Nobody else in here has washed our feet. The disciples were having a conversation prior to this. And, and you know, you see it in the other gospels where they were talking about and arguing about who was the greatest among them. And Jesus, knowing all of these things, he knows that it's his time to go. And I want you to notice that it says, because he knew it was his time to go, he knew the Father had given him all of these things, he knew who he was. You see, I want you to get this. You will never act like Jesus in community until you know who you are in Christ. 
Because you will not put yourself in a vulnerable position. You will not put yourself in a place of humility and, and subservience to others around you in that sense if you do not know who you are. When you know who you are, it's an honor, it's a privilege to wash my brothers and sisters' feet. And so if we're not supposed to do that, what we got to understand is, first of all, that the depth of community was led by Christ. Christ took community to a deeper level. For the leaders in this church, I challenge all of you, take community deeper. With the people that you are responsible for, whatever you have to do, lead by example. Take community deeper. Husbands in this place, take community deeper. Lead your families. Don't wait for your wife to invite someone over. You invite someone over. Don't wait for your wife to reach out. You do it. Don't say the common, hey, go talk to my wife. No, you be the leader. Make community deeper. Know who you are in Christ. Become deeper with your brothers and sisters because that's what Jesus does. He initiates it. He says, we got to take this community deeper. You guys have to understand this. So Jesus goes, understanding his identity, he enabled him to take that menial, vulnerable position to help others gain their identity and then challenge them to do the same for each other. Jesus goes and he's washing their feet. He's helping them to understand, you need this cleansing. Helping you deal with your character. Helping you realize you want to be great, learn to serve. Helping you understand your identity is not in your title. It's not in your position. It's not because you are a man. Not because you are a woman. Not because, no. It is because you are servant of the Most High God. So he shares with them. He says, listen, I want you guys to do this. When we look at this, we're not supposed to necessarily do this. And again, if you feel compelled to do this in reality, praise the living God. There's nothing wrong with that. But it doesn't mean that it needs to become a doctrine in the church is my point. But to wash someone's feet, you know what it really means? It means to get dirty for someone else when you don't have to. It means to get dirty for someone else when you do not have to. It means to get involved in someone's mess when it's not your mess. It means to get involved in someone's situation when it's, because remember, doing life together, not just an event. It's not just sitting down, washing their feet. It's getting involved in their life. It's getting involved with them. It's learning to serve in order to help them do what? In order to help them get clean. And so what happens in real community when I'm in that servant posture? Well, in some cases, I need to offer someone forgiveness. Someone who doesn't even ask me, ask me for forgiveness, I need to give it to them. How do you do that? You go up to them and say, hey, you've been forgiven? No. Just love them unconditionally. Show them they've been forgiven. It's much better than getting that last blow in and saying, hey, just want to let you know I forgave you for that. Because that's what that is. That's really you trying to get that last blow in and say, hey, you know, I just wanted to throw that out there. I had some issues, but I, I'm over that now. It's going to make you feel that for a moment. Now you're forgiven. No. That's why we do it. Because we need to clarify. What do you need to clarify for? Love unconditionally. Offering forgiveness. That's, man, that's getting dirty. In the love and respect class, we were talking about that. What's more humbling? Forgiving or being forgiven? Being forgiven all day long is more humbling. When you realize you don't deserve forgiveness, it's more humbling when someone forgives you. When, we, when, when we're in community, it means that sometimes, look, washing their feet, you know, what I, you know what I'm saying? If I'm washing your feet, your feet are dirty. 
That's what I'm saying. So you know what I'm, what, what I'm communicating? There's something that needs to be cleansed in your life. So that means that I'm confronting the issues. I'm not acting like they don't exist. No. And I'm and well, Bishop, you told me to forgive and don't. That's not what I'm talking about. There are moments that you just forgive and you move on. There are other things you can't just forgive and move on. You need to confront, forgive, and then move on. Because it's not about you throwing something in their face. It's about them changing something. That's what repentance is. And when you confront someone that is in sin, that has been dirtied, because you think about it, the dirt of this world, right, walking around, feet getting dirty, symbolic. Every day you walk in this world, people influence you. We talk about Facebook all the time. I'm not the only one out there putting out comments. I mean, there are people that put out all kind of craziness out there. And that's just one avenue of influence and communication. There is all kind of other avenues, you know, television. You have people talking to you, examples around you. I can't tell you, man, I was talking to a couple the other day. And in their marriage and I was asking them about this couple and that couple and every couple that I brought up they said man they were divorced they were divorced they were divorced and I'm and, 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 it, and it's and it breaks my heart because I'm like man no wonder you know you you see the you know people they're like being influenced they're seeing well you know they're free and they're free they're not man listen you fight for those things you don't give up on marriage that's the bottom line but you know what you need someone that is close to you someone in community to come to you and say hey man you need to wash that up and you know what I'm not telling you to wash it I'm asking you to let me help you wash it I'm asking you to let me help you bear that burden I'm asking you to let me help you get through that situation gospel-centered community it means it means those things it's a constant reminder the, the, the greatest thing that I believe is so imperative about being together in a gospel-centered community is constantly reminding your brothers and your sisters we have been saved by grace God's grace is sufficient going through hardship we bring the gospel into the conversation why because the gospel is our identity it is our strength they're going through high moments point back to the gospel so they don't start to think that they're so great always rejoice with them but make sure that you continuously remind them of the gospel when we take the posture of a servant as Christ did community becomes fulfilling because our goal is to serve and not be served. When I take the position of Jesus did, and I say, man, I just want to serve. I'm not worried about being served. I take that position, something happens. Because it's not about titles, it's not about who I am, it's not about rights, it's about me obeying and doing what the scriptures teach. And you know what's beautiful about real community? What's beautiful is this, is that while I take the position of servant and I want to serve, I don't want to be the glorified servant. So you know what I allow? I allow others to serve me as well. Because I realize that when I serve, I'm bearing the image of Christ to my brother and sister. And when my brother serves me, they're bearing the image of Christ. So if I don't allow someone to serve me, I know that's like, you know, against our mindset. If I don't allow someone to serve me, if I don't allow someone to bless me, if I don't allow that to happen because I'm falsely humble and no, 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 no. Hold on a second. What I'm doing is I'm hindering that person from reflecting Christ the way that they should. So it's only good for me to serve. You can't be the only servant in the room. But it is awesome when everybody in the room is a servant. That changes the whole picture. Now, I said I was closing and now I am closing. There's a difference, glory to God. Hallelujah. 
If the gospel is not the center of our, commu our commitment to community, it will always be a burden. Say it again. If the gospel is not the center of our community, it will always be a burden. It will always be an issue. It will always be an issue. I want you to go with me to two other scriptures, and I'm just going to read them, and I'm going to let them speak for themselves, and then we will close in prayer. I'll say one thing after I read them, and then we'll close in prayer. Amen? I'll clarify that. My bishop is lying. I'm not lying. Hallelujah. I'm excited. Turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, when you got to say amen. And it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and is in all. And so he's in all of us, and he calls us to be one. He calls us to walk worthy of the calling. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. And it says this, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Remember, we're not supposed to conform to anyone's vision, but unto the character of Christ. That was his mindset. And he calls us to do the same thing. He told his disciples at the end, blessed are you if you know this and you do what I've asked you to do. The bottom line is this. There is truly only one hindrance to the reason why we would not be a community of people the way that God has called us to be. And that is because of a loss of focus upon the gospel. But the question is this. What is it that has caused you to have your hindrance? Because the hindrances are different. The reasons why are different. But the bottom line is, you lose focus on the gospel, you won't want to commune with your brothers and sisters. Amen? God wants to heal us of that today. So let's all stand to our feet and let us pray. Heavenly Father, I have shared your word as truthfully as I can, dear God. And I thank you for each and every hearer that is here today. And my prayer is that we would not be hearers alone, but that we would be doers. I pray that we would begin to reach out to those who do not, who we do not know, Heavenly Father. To those who may run out of the door, Father, that we would make it a point to chase them down if we have to, God. Father, that we would embrace those who desperately need to be embraced by a love that is greater than anything they've ever known coming through us, Lord God. Unexpected vessels. 
Father, I pray that you would heal my brothers and sisters. You know what is going on in hearts in this place that hinder them from walking in community. Father, not just necessarily bad church experiences, but Lord, bad experiences in life, Heavenly Father. Bad experiences with people that have caused us to shell ourselves in, Father God, to shield ourselves rather than walking in our full identity in you, God. Heavenly Father, I pray that whatever ails, whatever hinders my brothers and sisters from walking in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, whatever hinders us from walking in love that is unselfish, Lord God, and not conceited, whatever hinders us, Lord God, from walking according to the standard and calling that you have called us to, Lord God, I pray that it would be removed right now in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to commune deeper with you and as a result, deeper with one another, Lord God. I I pray that you would help us to have deeper commitment to you and as a result, deeper commitment one to the other, Father God. And that more than anything, as a result of these things, that we would be able to be a missional, evangelistic, reaching the lost church, my God, that is ministering unto lives with the full power of the gospel that has changed us, God. Father, I pray that our flesh would not prevail but that your spirit, that your will and your kingdom would prevail, God. Father, I ask you, Lord, to heal broken hearts. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us the faith to trust you to enter into deep gospel-centered community. Help us to connect and give you all praise and all glory. In Jesus' mighty name, someone said, come on and give God a hand of praise. Really quickly, as we prepare to receive our tithes and offerings, um, the last couple of weeks, I've been doing this as well. I asked Pastor Chad for the opportunity to do that. And so we talked about.